Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Sullivan. On the program today, trucker tensions. A trucker convoy protesting vaccine mandates descends on Parliament Hill. Who do they actually represent? What kind of political support do they have? Is the protest a political opportunity or a liability? We give you the very latest on the demonstration with the Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra. Will he reverse the cross-border trucking vaccine mandate? Also, the former advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper, Jenny Byrne, and the former principal secretary to Prime Minister Trudeau, Jerry Butts, debate the political fallout of the convoy. Then, weapons to Ukraine. With rising tensions and unwarranted Russian aggression, Canada will be there to provide ongoing support to Ukraine. Canada sends help to Ukraine to deter Russia, but why has Canada refused the request to send weapons? Could more Canadian aid be on the way? We'll speak to the National Defence Minister, Anita Anand, just before she leaves for that country. Plus, O'Toole's end. I'm responsible for the loss. And I want to make sure that we gain the confidence of more Canadians. Can the Conservative leader survive a new scathing review of his election performance? And is support for the truck convoy dividing his party? Plus, Parliament resumes tomorrow. What's the most pressing priority? Former NDP leader Tom Mulcair and pollster Nick Nanos join us on the Scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. They drove, they parked, and they protested, and they're still at it today. After days of traveling from various parts of the country and raising more than $8.5 million, the trucker convoy protest arrived in the nation's capital, Ottawa. There was a heavy police presence, but there was no violence and no arrests. The protest, organized by a group called Canada Unity, was initially in response to the Canadian and U.S. government's removing of the exemption that cross-border truckers have to cross the border without proof of vaccination. But the agenda has now changed. The convoy has become an 18-wheel vehicle hauling a large payload of various political messages and agendas, though just what those other agendas are remains unclear. I spent the day in the crowd talking to people and trying to find out why they came. Most were happy to talk, though someone did try to drill me with a full beer can as I reported. The QR code is a slippery slope. To what? If you have to show proof in every door you go into, where does it end? The mandates right now that's going on in Canada, I think it's infringing a lot of people's movements, freedoms. Uh, People are isolating way too much now. Some people joining are simply frustrated with COVID restrictions and want to express their anger. The organizers have their own explicit agenda on the Canada Unity website. Their manifesto, a so-called memorandum of understanding, calls for the overthrow of elected MPs to be replaced by a new committee made up of members of the Canadian Unity crew, the unelected Senate and the Governor General. Other key organizers have openly expressed extremist views on race, and others are part of the separatist Maverick Party. But the convoy has lots of political support. Conservatives like Aaron O'Toole, Michael Cooper, and Pierre Polyever and Leslie Lewis have all expressed support for the truckers, and People's Party leader Max Bernier spoke at the rally. Last night, so did President Donald Trump. The Canadian truckers, you've been reading about it. who are resisting bravely these lawless mandates are doing more to defend American freedom than our own leaders by far. And we want those great Canadian truckers to know that we are with them all the way. 
With so many people on Parliament Hill, will the government now rethink its cross-border trucking vaccine mandate? What's the response from politicians? We did ask Aaron O'Toole and several members of the Conservative Party to join us this morning, but they were unavailable. But joining me now is the Federal Transport Minister, Omar El-Gabra. Good to have you on the program. Minister, what is your reaction to the protest and the message that these people feel that the government's heavy-handed approach is infringing on their freedoms? Good morning, Evan, and it's good to be uh, back on your show. Let me just say um, that most credible trucking organizations have distanced themselves from this protest, including uh, the Canadian Trucking Alliance. And in fact, they've issued several statements, including one, another one yesterday. Uh, and as you and, our uh, and I are speaking, truckers are delivering for Canadians. They are uh, almost 90% of them are fully vaccinated. They are delivering across the border and ensuring that goods Canadians need are being delivered. Uh, second, um, look, I am um, relieved that so far the protest has been peaceful. Um, I hope that if the protest is going to continue, that it remains peaceful. Uh, it is really important to remind everybody why we have these mandates. I share the frustration that most Canadians have towards public health measures. We all want to get out of the pandemic as quickly as possible. And this is why we have these mandates. It's not the first time that governments mandate public health measures, especially when we are in a pandemic. So these but, but, measures but the, but are I, I gotta tell you, Minister, I spoke to, I was out there speaking to the, a lot of different people. Um, a lot of them are furious at the Prime Minister for dismissing them as a, quote, fringe minority holding unacceptable views. Uh, they go back to comments the Prime Minister made during the election about people being racist. They felt that they were being dismissed, that they were, they were being disrespected. And that's, that's animated their anger and, and fueling a lot of this. What is the response? Were those statements mistakes? Evan, I'm sure not everyone, obviously, at that protest or people who are sympathetic to that protest are racist. But some of the images and the voices that we heard come out of that protest was alarming. Canadians saw for themselves. We had swastika flags. We had the Confederate flag. We had voices that call for the overthrow of the government. Canadians saw for themselves that some voices are really disturbing and unacceptable. So I understand that there are some people who are sympathetic to the protest for other reasons, but we cannot look the other way. Yesterday was the fifth anniversary for the Quebec mass shooting. Just a few, do few days ago, we commemorated the Holocaust Memorial. We always say never again. It is alarming to see swastika being flown on Parliament Hill yesterday. So, so Minister, what, what do you make of Conservatives? Uh, Michael Cooper was on the Hill, many others were, and a lot of them say uh, this is a, a few bad apples here in any group of thousands of people. There are a few bad people, but we support the truckers and we support the trucking movement and we support their right uh, to, to hear them. Aaron O'Toole did, Pierre Polyever did. What is your message? Can they, what do you make of their rationale? We don't support those views, but we still support the truckers. The Conservatives need to learn lessons from the past. I was actually shocked to see some Conservative MPs, including Aaron O'Toole, flirt with some of these voices that are coming out of this protest. Michael Cooper himself was, uh, you know, a few, couple of years ago, had given voice to the New Zealand mosque, 
shooter. He read that uh, out in the House of Commons. By the way, he's apologized for that. He's apologized but, for... But he didn't he, learn his lesson, Evan. He just went out again and wanted to lend his voice. He should quickly and clearly distance himself and apologize once again for lending credence to some of the extreme voices that were he present. Has, this morning he issued, nine hours after he, he appeared on the pill, he, he, he issued an apology. Uh, but, okay, so you don't buy that they can the conservatives can separate themselves from the organizers and some of those message from support for the truckers. Let me just ask you quickly, Minister, on, on the government's end. I know there was months of lead-up to removing the exemption for cross-border truckers, but did the government do a bad job on this, rolling this out? Because that is was the trigger that started this protest, that's attracted all sorts of different voices. Um, could you have done a better job either extending the exemption to make sure the rollout was smoother so it didn't uh, pop up into a protest that's taken over the nation's capital? Evan, uh, let's be clear. We could always do a better job, so let me start by saying that. Second, let me start by saying it is my job and the government's job to always listen and hear points of view. But let me remind your viewers, last summer, we put a mandate for all travelers across the border. We exempted truckers, but we did say that it will be coming. Also, last fall, we put a mandate on all workers of the trans transportation right. sector, including federal workers, and that was successful. 19, almost 100% of those who work in the air, rail, and marine right. sectors are fully vaccinated. And then last November, we announced, right. and by the way, we had an election on this. Canadians supported right. the mandate for vaccination. So there's no chance now, Minister, just, just real quick, no chance after these protests that you will reverse the mandate or, or, or extend the exemption. Is there any chance of that? Evan, it lets be very clear the mandate is in place, but also that there's a, a similar mandate at right. the U.S. side of the border. So, uh, you know, it is it's done to, in, to protect the health and safety of Canadians. It's done to protect right. our economy. It's done to protect our truckers and all those workers who work in our supply chains. Okay, Minister, i got to leave it there this morning. Transport Minister Omar El-Gabra, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, when we come back, is the trucker protest the start of a new political movement? Should politicians be listening closely or steering clear of the protest? Is it dividing the Conservative Party? Jenny Byrne, the former campaign director for Stephen Harper, and Jerry Butts, the former principal secretary to Justin Trudeau, weigh in next. Stay right here with Question Period. A convoy runs through it. As the Conservative Party met to discuss this confidential report on why they lost the last election, the trucker convoy protest was dividing the party. And battled leader Aaron O'Toole flip-flopped on whether or not to meet the trucker convoy, first saying leaders don't show up at protest, and later saying actually he would meet with the truckers, but not the organizers. He did end up meeting some truckers off of Parliament Hill. Meanwhile, there were some high-profile Conservative caucus members openly cheering on the convoy. Former Conservative leader Andrew Scheer wrote, quote, Thank you, truckers. Trudeau is attacking personal liberty. He's the biggest threat to freedom in Canada. Finance critic Pierre Polyevre called the trucker vaccine mandate a vaccine vendetta. He also met with some truckers off the hill, and he promised to deliver donuts to them. I think that it is possible to hold individually responsible anyone who says or does anything unacceptable while showing support for the hardworking, law-abiding, peace-loving truckers who are fighting for their freedom and their livelihoods.
People's Party leader Max Bernier, meanwhile, has totally attached himself to the protest. The Prime Minister went the other way, dismissing them as a minority fringe group with unacceptable views. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other. So what are the politics of the convoy and what does it tell about the future of politics in this country? Are there dangers or opportunities here? Let's find out. Joining me now, Jenny Byrne, the former advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. She ran a campaign for him and the former principal secretary to Prime Minister Trudeau, Jerry Butts. Uh, Jenny and Jerry, great to have both of you on the program. Jenny, uh, this has been interesting watching Conservative support, various Conservatives, some were on Parliament Hill, uh, some have expressed a lot of support for the organizers, others not. How do you analyze how the Conservative Party has approached this convoy? Well, I think the convoy is much more than, uh, than what it is, what, what has been perceived as vaccine mandates for truckers. I think Glenn McGregor said yesterday in a tweet that this is, this is turned into much more in terms of talking to the crowd. And I, I think that what's even more important is to look at, at what has happened off Parliament Hill in terms of different communities and, and, and rallies. Thousands upon thousands of people uh, lined roads to wave at, at truckers over the last week uh, leading, into, uh, leading into this rally. And, and I know that we, are, we go on Twitter quite a lot and um, it's very entertaining at times, but if you go on a medium like Facebook, which, which I keep in touch with high school friends, I was amazed at how many people uh, actually went out and were cheering on these truckers, severely uh, normal people who are upset or just they've had enough. We, we're going into 23 months of uh, COVID and, and they were out talking about that they're uh, upset that their six-year-old still has to wear a mask in, uh, in class, that the, my one friend, his 12-year-old son is severely depressed and he's 12 years old. And so I think what this has done, Evan, it has just, it's been a rallying cry, but I don't think that politicians or I don't think the media should look at this, that this is simply the people out there uh, protesting either on Parliament Hill or in places right across the country from Victoria to, um, uh, to Regina uh, are actually protesting or out there for, for uh, trucker vaccine mandates. What's your read on the situation, Jerry Butts? Well, it's interesting, Evan. You said that the Conservatives are here this weekend to talk about why they last, well, why they lost the last election, and the convoy entered town like the Kool-Aid Man, uh, busting through the wall to remind them why they last lost the last election, and that is, most regular Canadians don't think that the Conservative Party can keep its more extreme fringe at bay, and what we've seen in the national capital this weekend is a clear demonstration of that. Jenny, can, can, I mean, part of the, the challenge, and maybe Aaron O'Toole and some others were trying to thread this needle, is we support the truckers, as you're saying, and, and I was out there, I, I spoke to many people, there's, as you say, there's a diverse series of agendas, but we don't support the organizers, but can they separate themselves from the organizers who have raised eight and a half million bucks, and, and you know, the Maxime Bernays who are on the hill, and, and yet still say we support the truckers and disassociate themselves from, from the, the leaders of that convoy? But, but, but Evan, we've, there is, it's, for rallies across the country for years, uh, this has been an, an issue. If you go back to uh, the war between Israel and Lebanon, uh, Liberal MP at the time, Denny Coderre, marched 
alongside people waving Hezbollah flags and signs that said death to Israel. I don't think anyone thinks that he associated himself with the organizers of the rally if they if 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 they were they were hold if they were you know holding up the flags of uh, of banned terrorist organizations from pretty much around the world. And so when you get to rallies of this size, I think that you're going to end up um, you're going to end up attracting people that that are, do do not espouse your views. But there's there is no organization or or there is no correlation between the organizers of the rally or or bad apples, so to speak, uh, uh, what what politicians were saying and and what the Conservative Party of Canada's uh, view is in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, lockdowns or COVID policies. Jerry, what's your view on that? Yeah, look, I, I think that obviously in any. Uh, mass movement, there are going to be some people who are on the fringe and don't espouse the views of the broader movement itself. I think in those circumstances, it's the leadership of the, the political party's um, obligation to speak some truth to their own followers. And if this were a climate rally on Parliament Hill that ran cars up onto the, that used the cenotaph as a parking lot and uh, draped an inverted flag on the Terry Fox Memorial, you would expect people who support climate action to go out there and call that out. And you haven't seen that from the conservative movement. I'd be saying, folks, look, you're getting in the way of your message. You're going to hurt your own cause. And in this case, it's, uh, uh, you know, you look at what's going on in Parliament Hill, and you start to think that this is the cause, that creating mayhem is the cause. And we've seen this, uh, I see this in my day job, we've seen this in democracies around the world, that the disruption is the point. Uh, J Jenny, what about the message on vaccines? I'm, I'm just trying to figure this out. You know, a year and a half ago, the Conservatives were railing that Justin Trudeau was behind, Canadians aren't going to get vaccines, there's not enough vaccines. Now a lot of them are front and center on a protest that's saying, don't make us take vaccines. Is that message dangerous for the Conservatives to figure out what side they're on here? Well, I think there's a difference between, uh, between everyone's kind of being lumped in together, Evan. There, there's a much difference between someone that uh, is anti-vaxxer, is, is an anti-vaxxer, so to speak, uh, and people that just don't support vaccine mandates. They're, they're two totally different things. We are now, I think the frustration that Canadians have is, is if you had said to Canadians last year in January of, of 2021 uh, that we were going to be one of the most vaccinated countries in the entire uh, uh, in the entire world, and we were going to, especially in our largest provinces of Ontario and Quebec, we were we were going to we were still going to be in the actually in the same lockdown uh, measures that uh, that we were uh, that we were then. I think people would be uh, there. There is they would be as frustrated as what they are now, and so. I think there's a much difference between people that um, uh, that, that that are that that are not vaccinated and are anti-vax and people that right. just do not support a vaccine mandate because they're watching countries around the world uh, that are actually scrapping their vaccine mandates uh, and also passports. The UK announced it last week. Uh, Denmark as well. Uh, Jerry, uh, did what about Justin Trudeau? Did he have a Hillary Clinton moment when he said these are you know this is a fringe minority with unacceptable views and the comments he made about racists in, in the campaign was that his basket of deplorable moments? In other words, is that a problem for him and danger for him? Well, look, uh, as you know, Evan, I will let the government speak for itself and the prime minister can speak for himself. I think that a lot of this, um, the back and forth, as Jenny said on Twitter and in the media is kind of surreal to most Canadians. I, I don't think that the folks enjoying this show with their uh, Sunday uh, morning coffee 
are really thinking about that kind of political point scoring. I think what they're concerned about is that this looks like a fringe movement. Uh, and I agree with the prime minister. It certainly seems like a fringe movement movement in the, uh, the rhetoric that they've used that has taken hold of one of the major political parties. I mean, at the end of the day, and, and I hear people's frustrations. I have two teenagers at home who've spent more time at a school in Ontario than just about any of their peers anywhere in the democratic world. It's a very frustrating situation for parents and most especially for kids everywhere. I've got two kids who are about to lose half of their high school years to this thing. So everybody's frustrated. But you know what? I'm frustrated that it's cold in January in Canada. There's nothing the federal government can do about that either. And if we're really worried about, if this crowd is really worried about and concerned about and against these lockdown measures, then they should be at Queen's Park, not Parliament Hill. Okay, I got about 30 seconds. Jenny, just, I'm trying to figure out where this movement goes. Like you saw, there's eight and a half million bucks they raised. Is this, a, is this movement going to die out after the pandemic ends? Or is this an animated political movement we've got to watch? I honestly, I have no idea in terms of whether this movement, uh, uh, this movement continues. Uh, but if I were uh, uh, to speak with Jer what Jerry just said, if I was Doug Ford and Francois Legault who are going into an election uh, this year, I would be watching very carefully in terms of what the public sentiment is. Evan, right. can I uh, can I just chime in on that last point because I think this is a critical point. Eight and a half million bucks is a lot of money. Jenny and I uh, ran the 2015 campaigns for our respective parties with uh, a lot of other people. But we, that was famously the longest campaign in Canadian history. I think we spent $42 million in 78 days. So eight and a half million bucks is a lot of money. And not only the money, but the data that's being collected by these organizers, they know who's sympathetic to this cause everywhere in Canada. I think what this is all about is the next conservative leadership campaign. And that's where that money and that data is going to go. All right, well, we'll watch it. I'd love to have both of you back, Jenny Byrne, Jerry Butts. I appreciate it. Thanks, both of you, for joining us today. Great to see you. Coming up, stopping Russia. Canada extends its training mission in Ukraine, but why is it not sent weapons to help out? Is additional help on the table? We'll find out next when the National Defense Minister, Anita Nan joins us. Stay right here with Question Period. The Red Scare on the eastern Ukrainian border remains high as Russia keeps over 100,000 combat-ready troops deployed at that border. No major progress has been made to de-escalate the situation. I can't be more clear. Uh, NATO's door is open, remains open, uh, and uh, that is our commitment. But the U.S. and allies like the U.K. are sending weapons to support Ukraine. Is Canada doing enough to help? Here's what they're doing. Canada has extended the training mission called Operation Unifier in Western Ukraine for three more years. It's also deploying 60 more troops to support the existing 200 troops there, and it could go up to 400. There's also a promise to boost cyber support and send some non-lethal equipment. But there are no new sanctions in the offing and no weapons, things Ukraine has asked for. Why not? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Minister of National Defense, Anita Nad. Minister, good to have you on the program. The Ukrainians want lethal weapons. Canada this week did not send lethal weapons. Can you tell Canadians what the rationale is for not sending weapons to a country that needs them and is worried about an invasion? Well, I'll begin by 
reiterating that the announcement on Wednesday was one to extend and expand Operation Unifier, under which we have trained over 30,000 Ukrainian soldiers. And our training in Ukraine has been universally recognized as important, especially among our NATO allies, to the stability and security uh, in Ukraine. So in terms of further aid, we put on the table non-lethal weapons this week. We put on the table $120 million for economic stability the week before, and we will continue to raise all options when I am meeting with Minister Reshnikov in the coming days. Okay, but again, I'm trying to ask what's the rationale. The UK had a rationale, they sent lethal weapons. The United States does. The Ukrainians have asked for this. I understand the training mission in the Western Ukraine is, is um, becoming more robust, but even retired Major General Dave Fraser called this minimal. Uh, the threat is, as you know, in the East. So can you explain to Canadians the rationale for Canada saying, we support Ukraine, but not with weapons? What is the rationale? The rationale is that there are various types of support that Canada as a country can offer. And our greatest contribution at the current time is in the area of human resources, and in particular, the training mission that I have outlined and that has been very successful in terms of training Ukrainian soldiers. In terms of additional aid in the days and weeks and months to come, those are ongoing conversations. And as I said, all options remain on the table. Are, are Canadians to understand that all options remaining on the table means that when you go to Ukraine this week, you could agree it's not you're not ruling out sending lethal weapons as i indicated all options on the table means that we are continually engaged with ukraine across our government in terms of how we can best support security and stability and sovereignty in that country and the focal point on lethal weapons at this point should be viewed in the context of the entire uh, very comprehensive aid that we are giving Ukraine. The question is, what's the message of deterrence to Russia? And the Ukrainians think that's lethal weapon. In the meantime, they have also, you, you announced there's going to be intelligence sharing, but Canada has, um, in the past, given the Ukrainians access to radar sat, our satellite imagery in 2015. They no longer have that. They need that. They want that. Um, why was there not an announcement to give the Ukrainians access to satellite imagery so they can do threat assessment on the Russians? I am aware that some have raised the issue of radar sat technology. When we were at the drawing board in terms of assessing the requests from the Ukrainian government, as well as our capacity and capability, uh, we are focused at the current time on expanding and extending the training mission. And going to Ukraine in the coming days is part of uh, our efforts to ensure that we are hearing directly from right. the Ukrainian government in terms of what they would like to see on the table. All right. But you had told me earlier in the week that you'd spoken to the chief of the defense staff, Wayne Eyre, about getting radar sat and sharing those imagery. So is that on the table and will that be discussed in Ukraine? Well, I think out of an abundance of caution and given the sensitivity of these discussions, I should have the 
conversations with my counterpart and with our government uh, and then return to further engage with you, Evan. This is a very uh, difficult and sensitive time, uh, very concerning. The situation is very fluid and Canada will continue to stand steadfast with our allies in support of Ukrainian sovereignty and the international rules-based order. Minister, the reason that you're, you're getting pressed is, uh, you know, we've got 60 more troops coming. I know we have 900 in Latvia and we're giving, uh, you know, non-lethal support. They've got 100,000 combat-ready troops there. They're doing live-fire exercise, naval exercises. The Russians are more than just rattling sabers, and the U.S. believes an attack could be imminent. So uh, the question is, how long can you wait? If Canada is serious about trying to de-escalate the situation, why did the foreign minister not take up the Russians' offer to try to negotiate with the counterpart and try to de-escalate? And have you spoken to the... I know you're going to Ukraine, but have you spoken to your to the Russians at all? And will you be speaking to the Russians about this? Uh, my role as Minister of National Defence is to ensure that we have our CAF members in place under operations that have been approved by our government. And indeed, that is exactly what I'm going to Ukraine to support Operation Unifier as well as Latvia to support Operation Reassurance. As I said, the situation is extremely fluid and I am engaged every single day with my colleagues across the world. Uh, yesterday, for example, I spoke with my German counterpart and I will be continuing to do that so that as a NATO alliance, we continue to be uh, working in lockstep with each other on issues like uh, support for Ukraine, economic sanctions, and life. Have you considered sending arms that were originally designated to support the Kurds, they were small arms, have you put it on the table to negotiate of sending those to Ukraine instead of the Kurds? The mission that we approved on Wednesday to provide to Ukraine uh, relates to Operation Unifier, up to 400 troops can be deployed now and 60 will be leaving in the coming days. Non-lethal aid as well has been approved and will be flowing to Ukraine in terms of military hospitals, uh, communications equipment, equipment to deal with explosive devices, uh, surveillance equipment, all of that will be very useful for the Ukrainian army. And in terms of other forms of aid, including the types you mentioned, that remains on the table and uh, we will continue to consider all options going forward. This is the reason that I am traveling to Ukraine to lay out our support for Ukraine and to ensure that they know that we remain steadfast in our support in this time of unwarranted Russian aggression at their borders. All right, I gotta leave it there. A National Defense Minister, Anita Anand, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Evan, take care. All right, still to come, O'Toole's future. Where does leader Aaron O'Toole stand after a critical campaign review of his last election performance? And how does support for the truck convoy shape the direction of the Conservative Party? Pollster Nick Nanos is our special guest on the Scrum. We'll dig into all that and lots more. Stay right here with Question Period. So what began as a protest against vaccine mandates for cross-border truckers has clearly become a larger political moment 
in Canada. Some protesters are now calling for all COVID-19 restrictions to end. It's become clear that some organizers of the convoy support things like overthrowing the government. There have been white supremacist views and anti-vax theories. Still, lots of people were part of the protest that are just there because they're angry. There's a diverse view. The truckers have managed to raise eight and a half million bucks and garner major political support, not only from people like the People's Party leader Max Bernier, who made a speech yesterday, but Aaron O'Toole and leading conservatives like Pierre Polyevre. Can the politicians separate support for the truckers from support for the organizers of the rally? And will the Liberals remain firm on their stance on cross-border mandates? The Scrum is here to answer all that and more. Andy Bergeron Oliver is a CTV News parliamentary reporter. Marika Welsh is a political reporter with the Globe and Mail. And our special guest this round is Nick Nanos of Nanos Research. Good morning to everyone. I know there's a lot of honking last night in, in Ottawa, so maybe you didn't sleep. Nick, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the politics of this. There's lots of support in Donald Trump uh, talking about his support last night. Um, what does it mean? How does that, how do you cut that? And what are the dangers of political support or, or not support of this protest? Well, you know, the thing is, Evan, we're at a moment in time. Both of the major parties are below 30%. People are, are upset and are unhappy with both Justin Trudeau or disappointed with Aaron O'Toole. And now we have this protest. You know, the People's Party are at around 5%. They're at 5% in the past. The thing is, in a first-past-the-post system, they can make or break any party. And this is why for the Conservatives, they've got to decide what their strategy is, whether they move tight and close to the protest or whether they have a strategy that basically just says, who would you rather have as the Prime Minister, a Conservative or a Liberal? So perhaps Aaron O'Toole isn't perfect, but he's a better choice than Justin Trudeau. Marika, uh, you were out there. Um, look, of course, Max Bernier was there. It's Christmas for the People's Party. Uh, but, but there was also a lot of conservative support for this. H how, do you, how, do you, how do you analyze that? Well, I find it very interesting where conservatives were and where they weren't on the protest on Saturday. We'll see how it plays out today and into the rest of the week. But people like Pierre Poiliev are sort of giving them the protesters a bit of a distance tug is how I would describe it. They did not actually come to the Hill. They kept their distance from the more inflammatory, the more hateful elements that are part of this protest, like that Nazi flag. They made sure to show their support for protesters and for truckers, but doing it at a distance from the main event in Ottawa, same as Aaron O'Toole. Meantime, people like Michael Cooper had to later apologize and disavow elements of the protest because they were on the Hill. They did do an interview and there was a Nazi flag in the background of that. So we see why they are being careful in how they embrace it and we see why it's such a risk for them to be even associating with them at all. I think where it goes is the biggest question and that's really going to depend on how long they stay here and what happens as people become more frustrated when they do not see the government back down on this vaccine mandate or resign as some are calling for them to do. Yeah, and we should say, boy, the anger at Justin Trudeau in this crowd, the mm -hmm. F Justin Trudeau. Mm -hmm. lot, by the way, lots of anger at the media. The, there's a lot of diverse views there, but they were very mad at Justin Trudeau for dismissing them as a small fringe element and uh, with, quote, unacceptable views. How does it cut for the government? 
Well, you know, Justin Trudeau has to be careful here because he really doesn't want to inflame tensions even further. And you're right, by him calling them essentially an out-of-touch fringe group, it did inflame tensions. That has essentially become a meme, and people have been talking about that on Twitter. And so that really emboldened, I think, the far right. So Trudeau needs to be careful, but he also has to sort of come out and condemn it. I'm surprised we haven't seen a greater statement from Trudeau talking about the anti-Semitic flags and uh, posts that were there yesterday, the hateful rhetoric. There hasn't really been a lot of that, and I think there are people who are looking to Trudeau to be a lot stronger. Overall, though, this is probably pretty good for Justin Trudeau. He can stand behind the vaccine mandates. The fact that 32 million Canadians have at least one dose, 30 million Canadians have two doses, and the vast majority of Canadians do stand behind a vaccine mandate. So I think what you're going to see from Trudeau is him really trying to stay away from commenting too directly on this protest or the protesters and talking more about science and trying to talk more about the vaccine mandate that he campaigned on in the last campaign. Yeah, Nick, Marika asked a good question. Where does it go from here? I think the supporters of the convoy were probably relieved there was no violence at all there was no arrest so that's on the table but uh where does this they've got eight and a half million bucks no one's sure kind of who who brands this is this a people's party movement a conservative movement what is this a political movement where does it go from here nick well, I think what this has tapped into is a high level of frustration. Regardless of where you land on vaccinations, people are frustrated with the pandemic, they're frustrated with the lockdowns, and they're frustrated with basically what's been going on. And they want change and they want movement. The thing is, is that no one can agree on how to move forward. This is definitely good news for Maxime Bernier. It makes him more relevant, it gives him a platform, and it allows him to connect and reconnect with those voters that supported him last time. So he's really the person to watch in terms of whether he inflames or escalate things, or whether he tries to more formalize this into get, getting people to join the People's Party and the movement that he's trying to move forward. And I think this makes it more complicated for Aaron O'Toole as well. There has always been these divisions in the Conservative Party. Do you move to the further right? Do you move left? I mean, Bernier got about 800,000 votes last time, and so obviously Aaron O'Toole is trying to get some of those people who are supporting him who are there, but at the same time, the more he moves to the right, the more he sort of plays to this group of people, a lot of these supporters, the more he's going to lose those center-right voters who are going to be the ones that potentially get him elected. Marika, last word to you. Where, where is this all heading? Well, let's just have some perspective on this weekend. More people got a shot this weekend than were at the protests on Parliament Hill. So let's have some perspective on how significant this movement is, what it actually means for the days and weeks ahead. At the same time, Justin Trudeau is the prime minister of these citizens as well, and he does need to look to some of the list, some of the people on the Hill who are simply terrified of getting the vaccines and ask that question of why is that happening and what can the government do to make those people feel more comfortable to get their shots. Well, in politics, uh, money and anger are opportunities, so this is not the end of this story, but it is the end of this portion of the panel. All right, uh, Nick Nanos, great to have you here. Uh, Annie and Marika, we'll be right back. All right, when we come back, high interest. That's right, high interest as Parliament resumes tomorrow in higher interest rates, inflation, health care concerns. What are the biggest challenges facing the government? We'll pick apart all those with the former NDP leader, Tom Mulcair, and the Scrum. Stay right here with question period. Trucker convoys and the protest, supply chain issues, tensions in Europe and inflation, interest rate hikes, stressed out healthcare systems. Look, the federal government is not short on challenges during this new session of parliament, but with the House of Commons set to resume tomorrow, how will MPs address these key challenges? We can't expect the government to table new legislation this week, like the controversial amendment to the Broadcasting Act, which of course descended into a furious debate about social media control in the last parliament. But what are the biggest challenges, not only facing the government, 
But what about the opposition? Will conservatives reconcile differences in their party? To answer all that, the Scrum is back. Annie Bergeron-Oliver is our uh, CTV News parliamentary reporter. Marika Walsh, political reporter with the Globe and Mail. And our special guest this round, former NDP leader and CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair. Okay, welcome back, everyone, and welcome to you, Tom. Let me start with you. Uh, biggest challenge facing the federal government in the shadow of this, this truck convoy and everything that's going on, but what is their biggest challenge in your view going forward? Well, I think the biggest challenge is what Mr. Trudeau is going to do for the middle class he's been talking about for six or seven years because the price of gasoline and groceries, pocketbook issues are going to become very real for lots of Canadians. On the purely political front, it's worth remembering also that just before the election, Mr. Trudeau had a bold vision for redoing the Official Languages Act. Now, I know that's an obscure corner to be talking about, but for a lot of people in Canada, it's important. The French-speaking minorities outside Quebec are really looking to this legislation to bolster their chances in education and health and social services. Anglophones in Quebec are quite upset because the bold move includes recognizing that there's really only one linguistic minority in Canada, the French minority, and that the English-speaking minority of Quebec is not really in a minority situation given the entire Canadian context. I know that's obscure, but for people who follow these things, it's a real live wire issue. And I'm anxious to see how Minister Petitbaugh is able to deal with it. Melanie Jolie had it. She had done an outstanding job. A lot of people are going to have their eyes on that, people who care about official languages. Yeah, those small brush fires can become big brush fires very quick. Marika, what are you looking for? Well, let's zoom out a bit, Evan, because Tom, I think, just highlighted one of several issues that can become brush fires, as you just said, that the Liberals are contending with. There's inflation. There's the chance that interest rates, the high chance that interest rates will be increased. There is the new climate plan that needs to be brought forward by March, according to the government's own legislation. Then there's the budget coming up. So the Liberals have a massively full plate with issues that directly hit the pocketbooks of Canadians. And the question is how they manage those things with the ongoing concerns around the pandemic, with the ongoing protests and questions around the vaccine mandate. And so they have such a big full plate already. Then you have Ukraine added on and so the question is how do they navigate those issues how do they explain those issues and how do they make sure they are on the side of Canadians worried about their pocketbooks in the months ahead yeah Annie there I don't remember a time where very consequential issues domestically and, and on, on foreign policy have hit this and then there's all those other issues like Tom's highlighted what are you watching for well, I think Marika's right. You know, this federal government right now has a lot on their plate. And I think inflation is definitely going to be one that the opposition is going to continue pushing. It's at a 30-year high, 4.8%. And so far, the Liberals don't really have a major plan for that. And I think a lot of people are going to be looking in the budget to see what exactly the federal government is going to do to try to reduce inflation and to make life more affordable. But I think the other thing we have to look at here is COVID. It is still going to be a major priority for the federal government, and it needs to be. And there's going to be very difficult conversations in the months ahead with the provinces and territories they want greater health transfers and if that's not in the budget there will be difficult conversations then we also have to look at the vaccine mandate as marika pointed out right now for federal workers it's two doses and as we're seeing three mm -hmm. doses is really necessary to combat the omicron variant so we're seeing you know the truckers who are here on parliament hill today the largest uh, pushback, most vocal opponent of those vaccine mandates are right here. And there's going to be right. even more pushback when the federal government inevitably has to change that from two doses to three doses. All right, uh, now let's go to the opposition. Uh, Tom, biggest challenge for the opposition. Uh, they too, by the way, have a whole plate. Uh, among them, as, as Annie said, they got an 18-wheeler plate parked right outside of us. Yes, I, I have a certain amount of expertise in the subject of 
political parties behaving badly with their leaders. Uh, so I do have a certain amount of sympathy uh, for Aaron O'Toole. But at the same time, I, because of the work that I do, I wind up pe speaking with people in every political party. And I've spoken to several people who were ministers in the past in conservative governments. And I have to tell you, um, their evaluation of the situation is quite grim for Aaron O'Toole. He, to, to quote one of them, he has no carrots and no sticks and no following. And it's very, very tough for him right now. So uh, we'll see uh, how he, he manages to wade through or not uh, the, the whole episode of, of the trucking convoy. But I, I don't think that it's been very easy for him so far. Mm -hmm. He's, of course, dealing with the uh, confidential report that came out uh, late last week about what happened to his uh, failed campaign, why they lost. And, and there's a lot of internal caucus fighting. So he's trying to hold on to his leadership. In the meantime, he's got all these issues. Can he rescue it by latching onto one of these issues? Look, this is almost, Evan, one of the biggest saving graces for the Liberals right now in the House of Commons as they look at the return to Parliament. We just listed all these major issues that Justin Trudeau's government is dealing with, and yet, despite this Liberal caucus retreat last week, despite all of these issues, the focus has been on the Conservatives, on vaccine mandates, all things where the Liberals feel very comfortable because the question is, is Aaron O'Toole actually the legitimate leader? Does he have the mandate? Yes, he is the leader, but does he have the mandate? Does he have the support of caucus to put his leadership questions to rest and actually be an effective opposition? Speaking with conservative MPs last week, that is an open question for them, and they want to see these questions as sort of burbling of dissenters settled one way or the other so that they can actually prosecute the issues that they want to in the House of Commons. Yeah, Annie, it, it's open. I mean, you can't find a commentator who doesn't say, ask the question, who's really speaking for the Conservatives? Is it Aaron O'Toole or is it Pierre Polyevre, who's probably the most visible uh, member of that caucus? Exactly, and I think really for Aaron O'Toole, the biggest problem is within his own caucus. You know, we look after the election, there were all the debates about whether he was the right leader for this party. There was the revolt there within the caucus, within the membership, and that is still continuing. People are still asking the same question. And in, unless Aaron O'Toole is able to sort of quell some of those conversations, he's not going to be able to be the effective leader in the House of Commons that he wants to be. I mean, you even just look at the trucker. You know, a lot of people are asking, well, what exactly is his stance? Then you have mm -hmm. members of his own party who are saying they're going to go out and meet with these truckers and they're standing behind them being very vocal. The problem for Aaron O'Toole here is he's sort of standing in the middle. He's trying not to alienate the further right members of his party who are 100% behind the unvaccinated truckers, behind the anti-vaccine yeah. mandate. But he also doesn't want to alienate the sort of right of center voters that he needs to get elected in a federal election. So he's in a difficult position. Yeah, hard to be the leader and you're the last truck in that convoy. But interesting, I will say this, the two premiers who are conservative, who have strong chances of winning an election, Mr. Legault in Quebec and, and Doug Ford is trying to win one. They've taken very clear, tough stance on the unvaccinated. And Aaron O'Toole didn't seem to follow that. Very interesting. All right, I got to leave it there. Tom Mulcair, Marika Walsh, Annie Bergeron Oliver, uh, great to have you here. What a busy weekend. That is question period for this week. Please take care. Remember, we always like to say people who disagree with you in a democracy may be your opponents. They are not your enemies. They are your fellow citizens. So let's remember that. Hug your loved ones. It's a great privilege. I'll see you on CTV Power Play at 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, and we will be back here in seven short days. Take good care.